0: Awesome. Good morning. Hey, good to see you. If I, have, if I have a Bible with you, turn to Genesis chapter 50. Genesis chapter 50. We uh, began a series last week, which we called uh, Being Big in Big Moments. And what we're trying to do is go through the Bible, through the Old Testament, and we're going to look at what, in the narratives that we read, what were the big moments in people's lives, how they were big in those big moments, and because of that, God used them and their lives in a very powerful and a dramatic way. And we want to find out that those same big moments occur in your life and my life. And and through that we want to be challenged to respond the same way these characters we're going to read about in the Bible did. So we can have lives like them that glorified God and pleased him and fulfilled his purposes for their lives. Now, um, last week we looked at Abraham. We looked at his story and how Abraham responded to a big moment. That was when God called him. Abraham responded to it and he responded with faith and we found out that the reason he was able to respond with faith is he had a very clear understanding of what grace was. That the burden of his salvation and the, the burden of his life the, the whole was completely on god's shoulders and not on his own and because of that he could respond with faith and he could follow the calling of god on his life and have the incredible outcome that occurred in his life now today i want to talk about another guy in the bible a great character and the character is joseph in his big moment let me give you a little bit of background of joseph and his story Joseph, uh, if you remember, Abraham had a child, Isaac. We looked at that last week. Now, Isaac had two boys. One was named Esau, one was named Jacob. Now, the birthright and the right to the land and to all that God promised Abraham was passed on to Jacob. And Jacob was a little bit of a conniving guy. We won't get too much into his story. But he um, was out and about, and he ended up in his life meeting a guy named Laban. And this guy, Laban, had two daughters. One, the older, was named Leah. The younger was named Rachel. And Jacob really was in love with Rachel. She was beautiful and just cool and just what he wanted in a wife. And, you know, what about Mary? I guess she had that it quality about her. And he just was crazy about her. And, uh, but Leah was the oldest. So what happened, his, her, their dad, Laban, kind of tricked Jacob. He got him to work for him for seven years. And at the end of the seven years, he promised he could marry his daughter, Rachel. But what he did is he snuck Leah in there somehow. We don't know how that happened, but he snuck her in there. And he actually married Leah, woke up the next morning and was like, oh, my gosh, wrong girl. And um, he uh, <clears throat> he went to, uh, you know, his father-in-law now. And he said, well, hey, you know, just enjoy her for a week. And next week, you can marry my other daughter. And we'll... Um, but you got to work for me seven more years it's just a long story it's not the point but anyways this is what this is Jacob he had two wives two sisters one was the older Leah one was the younger Rachel who whom he really loved was Rachel now as time went on Leah was the only one that could have children and Leah actually had seven children uh, from Jacob and seven boys and uh you know, it was very frustrating for Rachel because she couldn't have a child. So she ends up letting, uh, asking Jacob to be with her handmaid. And he has a couple, uh, kids to her, but it's not hers. And then Leah responds and throws her handmaid at him. And so he's got 11 kids and then, or excuse me, 10 kids between all these, between Leah and the two handmaids. Then finally, Rachel gets pregnant. And she has a son, and that boy is Joseph. A little later on, she has one more son. His name's Benjamin when she's giving birth to him. She actually dies during childbirth, but he's delivered. So Joseph is the firstborn son of Jacob's true love, Rachel, but he has 10 older brothers. And as the story goes along, it gets kind of interesting. Jacob, his dad, didn't hide that Joseph was his favorite. And uh, Joseph stayed with his dad and ran the family business while his brothers went out doing the hard work of shepherding and and all that. And Joseph was given a coat, an ornate coat uh, of many colors, a really cool coat. His brothers just had regular garments now that would be the equivalent in our days if you had 12 brothers and the 10 brothers do what poor broke preacher like me does when his kids 16 you get him a beat-up car uh, who you can just get him from here to there all the brothers have beat-up cars joseph gets a brand new porsche how would you feel if you're one of the 10 how would you feel how would you feel about yeah a little bit upset a little disappointed a little angry about that I mean you could have just divided the whole thing out and given everybody a decent car but no Joseph has the Porsche and the other 10 have just got transportation to get here and there and so it's very obvious and Joseph's in the house and One time his dad sends Joseph out to go check up on his brothers. He goes out and they weren't working real hard. So he came back and actually told his dad. He tattled on his brothers to his dad, kind of ratted them out. So you have that going on. And then Joseph has a dream. And he's very excited about this dream and he's probably somewhat naive. But he tells his whole family about his dream. And here's what the dream was. There was wheat growing. They were all out gathering wheat, and they were bundling up uh, their wheat into a sheaf. And Joseph's sheaf arose and stood upright. And the other 11 sheaves bowed down to him. The many-colored coat didn't hurt the ego at all, did it? And he told his family this dream. And of course, you can imagine how his brothers are responding. And then he goes and he has another dream. And in this dream, what happens is he's standing there and the 11 stars bow down to him. And then even the sun and the moon, which meant his mother and his father bow down to him. And at that one, his parents are getting a little concerned, actually. But this is who Joseph is. This is the background. He, he has it in his heart from God that he is the chief that stands upright, that rises up and stands up. And everybody else bows to him. Now, one day he's going out to go check up on his brothers again. And again, last time he went out there, he, he tattled on them, gave them a bad report. And he's going out there again. And his brothers see him coming. And they just blow up with rage. How much they hate this guy. They are mocking him. Calling him a dreamer. And as he's coming. They plot out. And they're going to actually kill him. They just had it. They're going to actually kill their brother. Now think about that. Ten older brothers. Want to kill their younger brother. And these aren't murderers. These are just guys who are enraged. Over this situation. And he's coming. And. The oldest brother actually goes, oh, we can't do this. So he tries to talk them out of it, and he kind of figures out a way to where he can hide him away, and they can just beat him up or something, and it, but not kill him. And so they grab him, they rip up his coat, they beat him up. The, the Bible tells us later on in the story, as it's recalled, that he is um, pleaded for his life, he's in distress, and they take him and they throw him in a well, a cistern. And he's down in that well. And they're figuring out what to do with him. And you can imagine him. Imagine what it would be like to be this kid. You're coddled. You're privileged. You're your daddy's favorite. You're driving a Porsche. Life is great. And all of a sudden, your brothers turn on you. They hate you. They beat you up. Throw you in a cistern. And they're thinking about whether to kill you or not. And you're hearing these conversations. You can imagine the horror He'd be going through, and the shock he'd be going through. And then along comes a caravan of what they call Ishmaelites. They were Arab people that lived in a different place, and they actually the brothers sold him into slavery to these guys. They're done with him. He is dead to them, but they didn't have the actual guilt of having to kill him. They take his coat, and they kill an animal, and they put blood all over it and tell their dad that an animal must have attacked Joseph and eaten him alive and all this. So Joseph goes on and he he goes to uh, the land of egypt and he's sold into slavery to an egyptian official named potiphar now that moment in joseph's life is a big moment and you and i every one of us here had the same kind of big moment and the big moment is what do you do when you are a victim? What do you do when you're a victim of injustice? What do you do when you're a victim of someone else's wrong? Be it a parent, be it an employer, be it a friend, be it somebody somewhere. What do you do? How do you and I handle being victimized, being wronged, being treated unjustly by somebody else? What do we do? And this is a situation that Joseph's in. Now, as he continues to go, he goes and he's, he's in this home with this Egyptian official. And the Bible says the Lord was with him and made him successful in everything he did. So he's in this home with this Egyptian official. He is doing great. He is running the entire household of this, this guy. He's over everything. And he is in, he's in a great situation. God's with him he's successful. And then something happens. He's great looking. He's built really well. And this guy, Potiphar's wife, notices him and begins to really want Joseph, wants him sexually, and begins to really come on to him. And he resists her every day. No, 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 no. And finally, they have a pretty heavy confrontation. And he goes, look, my, your husband, my boss." Has put me over everything he has. How can I sin against him. And sin in this way. Against God. What a powerful thing. I think it would be so easy to talk yourself into compromising. In that situation. But you don't do that. When you're the chief. That arises and doesn't bow down like the others. And that's who Joseph believed he was. His wife comes on to him. He resists her. She actually grabs his cloak and he runs away. And she goes out and gathers up people and says, hey, this guy tried to rape me, tried to make sport of me. And Joseph is is accused falsely. Her husband is infuriated with him and puts him in a dungeon for The the Pharaoh's uh, prisoners and the official royal prisoners. He goes to to jail. So again, he's a victim with his brothers. Now he's a victim from his employer and from his wife. They want to exploit him sexually. They want to use him. He's treated unjustly by them. And he goes from being the manager of of a huge household in a pretty nice position that he worked his way up from the ground up to have. Now he's back in and he's in a dungeon. He's in jail. And he's down there with all the, the, the prisoners of, of Pharaoh and their prisoners. And he meets two guys in there that were Pharaoh's prisoners. One was, a, was the baker for Pharaoh. He baked and prepared the food. He was Pharaoh's chef. And the other was his cupbearer. He was the one who prepared his wines and his drinks. And so apparently somebody tried to kill Pharaoh, one of the two, and they didn't know which one. So they both were put in jail. And while in jail, Joseph meets these guys and they have a conversation. And the cupbearer comes to him and says, man, I had this dream. And he tells it to Joseph. And Joseph interprets his dream. And he says, hey, here's what that means. Your dream means this. You're innocent. And in a couple of days, you're going to be released out of here. You're going to be free. And you're going to have your job back. You're going to be restored to what you were. And the cupbearer says, really? He goes, yeah. He goes, well, look, when it happens, uh, I won't forget who you are. And he goes, great. And so what happens? Sure enough, the cupbearer gets out and the baker comes up to Joseph and says, well, I had a dream too. And he tells him the dream. And Joseph says, you are guilty and they're going to find it out and you're going to be executed. And he was executed. And so that's what happened in jail. The cupbearer gets out and he's, he has been out. But the cupbearer, when he's out and he's released and he's, he's back to his old position, you know what he does? The Bible says he forgot about Joseph. He forgets about him. Totally forgets. And so for two more years, Joseph is down in the dungeon. And again, a third time he's a victim. Got overlooked. He was supposed to be promoted. He was supposed to get taken out of here. This was supposed to change. He felt felt cre- extre- extremely overlooked. Two more years. And then one day, the cupbearer is in the royal thing, and he hears Pharaoh talking about this dream he's had. And he, over, he knows what's going on, that Pharaoh's troubled by this dream that he keeps having over and over again. And he talks to all his wise men and his guys, and they can't figure out what the dream's about. And so the cupbearer comes up to Pharaoh and goes, Look, I, I know a guy. You told him his story. And he says, that This guy's Joseph is actually in jail. So they go get Joseph ready. And here was, here was Pharaoh's dream. Pharaoh had a dream over and over again that he was on the Nile and out of the Nile River came out seven really healthy, fat, hardy cows. And they come out of the Nile and they're eating and they're grazing. And then everything looks great. And then all, then right after them, out of the Nile come seven sickly cows. They're very pale, they're emaciated. And when they come out, they go and they literally eat up the healthy cows then pharaoh has another dream and there's a stalk of grain growing and in in the grain there's seven healthy exceptional heads of wheat that emerge and then after them come out seven unhealthy ones and the seven unhealthy devour the healthy ones and so pharaoh tells that dream to joseph and joseph says i know what's going to happen In Egypt, we're going to have seven years of plenty. A lot of grain, a lot of wheat. But it's going to be followed by seven years of famine. And what we're supposed to do is prepare for the famine now. When all these healthy grains are coming in, all this plentiful harvest, we need to save a lot of it and be ready. And so they did that. And in that moment, the king was so astonished at Joseph's ability to interpret the dreams. He says, who can I find to be over this project? And he names Joseph and puts him in charge of the whole project so joseph becomes the viceroy over egypt the second in command the basically the decision maker for the whole land of egypt and he's overseeing this project and and, and it's going great and he actually gets a wife they, they give him a wife they change his name to Zepha Panea, which means his god speaks and lives what a great name Somebody names you. When, when a pagan king renames you, your God speaks and lives. You are doing, you're, in, you're in a good, good spot. And he goes and he gets married and he has two sons. And it's really interesting the names of his sons. One of them he names Manasseh. And Manasseh means God has made me forget all my suffering. Now, let me ask you something. In what ways... In your life, do you bear the burden of being a victim? Family, things with your parents, things that may have happened with authority figure, employment situation, and relationship. We all have stories we could tell of being a victim of real pain. When I... Uh, look like about our church and I hear so many of the stories of the people in our church and the things some of you have been through and even at a young age and some of the pain you've gone through and some of the challenges you've had I think I, I, it is comforting to know that we serve a God who lives and speaks and who can make the circumstances and the pain of your life a memory you've forgotten all about it's powerful and that's why these moments in our lives when we're victimized when we've been treated unjustly are such big moments because see when you're treated unjustly when you've been treated wrong it will either debilitate you or elevate you it is never a neutral thing it is either going to be a stone that weighs you down in life or it's going to be a stone you step on and you ascend over but we have to make up our minds who we are. We are the sheaves that stand upright and that arise and don't bow down. And that's who Joseph was. And that's who God calls you and I to be in these big moments. And because he was that, God made him forget His suffering. And the the next son's name was Ephraim, which means God made me productive and fruitful in a land of suffering. And he even saw that the experiences he had in his life were not just about him, but there was a bigger, broader context to his life, and that what he was going through would affect the the broader scope of his life in a much more positive and profound and, and powerful way. And Joseph goes on and Later on, he, uh, he is the, 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 the doing all the executing his plan to gather grain. And then the famine comes. And you can read about this, this. This made the Egyptian empire incredibly successful and powerful. Other nations were coming and spending all their wealth and giving up land. And, and the, the, the Egyptian empire, with their grain reserves, was devouring the whole ancient Near East. And this empire was becoming extraordinary. And we go back into his brother's land where they are. And they're, they're needing grain. And their dad, Jacob, tells his brothers, hey, go to Egypt. They got grain there. And they go. And when they go there, Joseph recognizes them. And Joseph kind of gives them a hard time. He accuses them of being spies. And he messes with them. And, and he gets them one to bring their younger brother back. So they do that. And he he again messes with him a little more i don't want to get into the details of the story but he gets he detains their brother benjamin who's his real full brother there and he makes them go and get their dad and bring him back and then during that whole episode he tells them who he is i'm joseph and they freak out which you would freak out and later on they're all there as a family he lets them go he forgives them the whole family's there and Later on in the story, their dad dies. Let me read this to you. It's in chapter 50, the very end of Genesis. Their dad dies. In verse 15, it says this. When Joseph's brothers saw that their father was dead, they said, what if Joseph holds a grudge against us And pays us back for all the wrongs we did to him. So they sent word to Joseph saying, your father left these instructions before he died. He actually didn't, but you and I would do the same thing, I'm sure. Verse 17, this is what you are supposed to say to Joseph. I ask you to forgive your brothers the sins and the wrongs they committed in treating you so badly. Now please forgive the sins of the servants of the God of your father. When their message came to him, Joseph wept. His brothers then came and threw themselves down before him. Sound familiar? I saw us all bundling sheaves. One arose and stood upright. And the other 11 did what? Bowed down. They bowed down. Verse 18, when we, and they said this, we are your slaves. <laughs> but Joseph said to them, don't be afraid. Am I in the place of God? You intended to harm me, but God intended it for good to accomplish what is being done, the saving of many lives. Here is the, a very important thing we have to have in our lives. And this, if you have this in your life, you'll be big in the, in the big moment, this big moment in your life when you're a victim and when you're done unjustly and when something's wrong and something hurts you and something's painful and something breaks you into pieces. It's to understand this. You are attached to a sovereign God. And what he wants for your life And what he does want to do in your life, nobody, nothing can undermine it but you and I. Nothing can. And anything negative that happens to you, anything debilitating, anything bad, does not have to be a stone that you live underneath. It can be a stone that you rise on top of and actually elevate you. You decide, does this debilitate me or elevate me you and I decide And you know, we have a powerful passage that Lisa read from the the um in the inspiration it's from Isaiah 50 and in that the prophet Isaiah is actually prophesying about the Messiah and his sufferings and he actually gets us into the will and the emotions of the Messiah and what he is thinking when he's going through his sufferings It's a very powerful passage. If you read the earlier part of it, he he talks about how he gave his back to those who, who beat him and who whipped him. How he gave his cheeks to those who pulled out his beard. But then he says this, I will not be disgraced because the sovereign God is with me. I will not be put to shame. Who wants to come against me? He's like saying, bring it on. God is with me. Bring it on. God is going to vindicate me. And that's what needs to be in the heart of those that follow Christ. Whatever comes on, God is with me. Whatever is going to come against me, God is with me. God will see it through in my life. And and this is what ought to reign in the soul. A people that follow Christ, you are not a sheaf that bows down. You are a sheaf that arises and stands to your feet. Not only when daddy gives you the Porsche and everything's going great, but when you're betrayed by your own family, you're the sheaf that arises and stands to their feet. And when you're exploited by somebody else's perversion, you are the sheaf that arises and stands to your feet. And when an employer does you wrong, you are the sheaf that arises and stands to your feet. And when you're forgotten by friends and people who you have benefited, don't return the favor. You are still the sheaf that arises and stands to your feet. The sovereign God is with you. You will not be disgraced. And you will not be put to shame. And if you're being struggling with some circumstances, maybe from your past, maybe something you're going through right now that are unjust, that are wrong, that are challenging, I want to encourage you be big. Be big. This is a big moment in your life. A big moment. Be big. A sovereign God. Is with you. And He's going to work in your life in a way that'll make you forget all the pain of your suffering. He will work in a life to actually make your suffering a fruitful and a productive thing. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, I just thank you so much for this story in the Bible and its um, power. And it's truth. And I know Joseph's story in a lot of ways is everybody's story. Everybody has challenges. Everybody is wronged. Everybody in this broken world is, is, is pulled apart by things that went wrong with our family, with our different authority figures, with friends. But Lord, I thank you that we can declare Like what you declared, Christ, when you were going through your sufferings. The sovereign Lord is with me. I will not be disgraced. The sovereign Lord is with me. I will not be put to shame. Father, I pray that truth and that declaration would resonate powerfully in the souls of every one of us. In our challenges. In the inequities we face in our lives. You're with us a sovereign God who will not allow us to be disgraced. Lord, I just pray for everybody here that really has gone through terrible circumstances for hope and assurance to arrive that you'll make them forget their suffering and you'll make them productive in the land of their suffering. The experience of Joseph will be theirs because the God of Joseph is theirs. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.